Hello, welcome to God Day. And uh, I'm Derek Walker, the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church. And I want to take us today to actually the very first major teaching that Jesus gave that is recorded for us. And uh, it's not actually the Sermon on the Mount. It's actually the teaching that Jesus gave to Nicodemus and uh, about the new birth. And this is so, so important to understand this, this amazing teaching. It's, it's really foundational because we enter the kingdom of God through the new birth. We have to be born into the kingdom of God. We can't earn or deserve it. We can't get in that way. We have to get in by birth. Just as you came into this natural world by birth, you have to enter into God's kingdom by a birth, a supernatural birth. And this is something that only God can do for you. And um, praise God. So this new birth actually was uh, talked... Uh, let, me, let me just go to... Uh, what just came to me is, let's, let's actually turn to, to, to John chapter 1. Even before where we're going to today is John chapter 3. John chapter 1 even starts with a mention of this new birth. And it's given to those who receive Jesus, who believe in Jesus and receive him. He gives a special miracle. Verse 12, John 1, 12. But as many as received him, that's Jesus, he get, to them he gave the right to become children of God. So first of all, there is the legal right, and then God makes it actual. He actually gives them a birth so that we literally become children of God in the family of God. And he describes who these people are, those who believe in his name. So you have to believe in Jesus' name, that is, in the true Jesus, what his nature is, that's his name is his person. You, you believe in Jesus and you put your trust in Jesus for who he is. He's the son of God, or we could say he's the God man. He's fully God, fully man. If you've got that revelation and you put your trust in him for your salvation, it says then you, if you receive him by believing in his name, then it says, you are born, verse 13, born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but you are born of God. In other words, this is something that God does for you supernaturally. When he says it's not of blood, that means you don't inherit it by being born into the right family, by being born into the right race, as it were, by being born into a Christian family and doesn't do it for you. It, it isn't inherited, nor of the will of the flesh. In other words, you can't make this happen by your own self-efforts and trying to be good and trying to earn or deserve it. It's not by the will of the flesh either. You can't do it, nor is it of the will of man. In other words, no other man or human agency uh, or church or priest or any such one can do this for you. The church does not have the power to do it. Any man does not have the power to do it for you. You must be born of God. Only God can give you this supernatural birth. And that's what Jesus talked about it. And there's many people who 
consider themselves Christians, but they have not received the new birth because they think being a Christian is about being nice, doing good, keeping the Ten Commandments, or at least trying to, uh, you know, and if I live a goodish life, then God will let me into heaven. And actually, what we're going to find out is no. None of us is good enough to get into heaven. Even if we call ourselves a Christian, we must be born again. We must have this new birth. Praise God. So this is what we want to share about because this is why Jesus picked Nicodemus. Because Nicodemus was the top Bible teacher in Israel. I mean, he, he if anyone thought he had what it took in the natural, he would have lived an upright moral life, no doubt. And he knew the scriptures better than most of the other Jews. He was considered a teacher. And yet Jesus made it clear to him he was not born again. He, he didn't have it yet. Um, but he did get born again eventually. He put his faith in Jesus and was born again. It's interesting where this conversation took place. It took place in the Gethsemane Grotto. This is where Jesus would stay. It was his custom with his disciples during a feast. And this was a Passover feast to actually stay within the bounds of Jerusalem. Uh, and so during the feast, he wouldn't stay at Bethany. He would actually stay in the bounds of Jerusalem. And he would, as it were, hire this cave called the Grotto of Gethsemane. And you can actually go there if you visit Israel. And it's set in the Garden of Gethsemane. And there was an oil press in that cave. And that was the place that God chose later to Gethsemane, you know. And the whole idea is Jesus was pressed pressed. Um, the picture is that he is the, the source of olive oil, the source of life. And the olive press is when the press presses those olives and squeezes out the oil. And this is a picture that in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was pressed. He literally prayed and he was flat out on the floor as if he was being pressed with the weight of our sin as God was showing him what he would have to bear for us. And he was submitting to God's will. Your will be done. And as he was pressed, as it were, this signified, this was in Gethsemane, the place of the oil press. That's what it means. And he was pressed three times, just like the olives are pressed three times with greater and greater weights each time. And out of Jesus' suffering flowed the olive oil of life, the Holy Spirit. And so God chose this place to reveal the new birth for the very first time because it was in this place that Jesus would be pressed and the oil of the Spirit would be released that made it possible for us to be born again. Because when we're born again, it's, as we're going to see, it's the Spirit of God who comes into us. And the oil of the Spirit uh, makes, turns our old wineskins of our old spirits into, into fresh wineskins that can hold the wine of the Holy Spirit. Praise God. And so it's interesting that it was in this place. Well, let's go to John chapter 3, and it says verse 1, that there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher, come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So faith is stirring in his heart. 
and he is open to hear what Jesus has to say. And Jesus answered, and, and really, Jesus got straight to the point. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, in other words, you can write this down, you can count this as true, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That would have been an immediate shocker because somebody like Nicodemus would have assumed, well, just being a Jew is enough. I have, we're, we have a covenant with God. Aren't we in the kingdom of God? And Jesus said, no, you have to be born again to enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus, in this uh, passage, he's going to teach about the new birth and he teaches spiritual things by analogies with natural things. Uh, actually, he, he says that in verse 12. He says, if I tell, told you earthly things and you don't believe, then how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? In other words, he will it's easier for us to understand earthly things and then we can understand spiritual things. So he's going to use three analogies. The birth of a baby, uh, that, that's the new birth, that describes the miracle of our salvation, and that is the focus on the Father. There's three things corresponding to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the work of the Father is that he brings us to birth. He's the Father of our spirit. Then he talks about the blowing of the wind, and that's a reference to the Holy Spirit's work in the new birth. And then he talks about the serpent on the pole, which is a picture of Christ and the, the work of Christ in dying on the cross for us and taking our sin. And so he, he's going to use these three pictures to describe how God does this wonderful miracle. So the first picture is the work of the Father, its birth. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And um, he's getting straight to the issue. Nicodemus had it all going for him. He was educated, decent man probably, cultivated man, trying to keep God's laws, but even... Nicodemus doesn't fail, doesn't succeed because we cannot save ourselves. And Nicodemus has got to learn this. Salvation is by grace. You know, when I don't claim any credit for being born, you know, it was my father and mother, mostly my mother, that did all the work in my birth. I, it was an, a work of grace. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. I knew nothing about it, really. And... Uh, you know, in the same way, the fact that we must be born again is talking about the fact that it's only by God's grace. It's nothing we can earn or deserve. You can't make yourself to be born again. And so he's talking about salvation by grace. Well, Nicodemus is, is puzzled by this. This goes against anything that he's ever heard. And he said to Jesus, how can a man be born when he's old? How can I have a brand new start? Can he enter a second time into, a, into his mother's womb and be born? How can this be, he's saying? Um, I'm my, my life, my character's already formed. Surely it's impossible to turn back the clock. And then Jesus, verse 5, gave a wonderful answer. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a man is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. In other words, he's saying, to be in the kingdom of God, you need two births. 
the first birth, you must be born a natural birth coming forth from the water of your mother's womb. That's the birth of your flesh, and that makes you a citizen of earth. The second birth you've got to have is a spiritual birth coming forth out of the womb of the Spirit of God, the birth of your spirit, making you a citizen of heaven. And without this second birth, you're not in the kingdom of heaven. And so you have to be born into the kingdom to be a citizen there. And this interpretation is confirmed in verse 6 because he talks about these two births again. He, he, he explains it. Number one, he said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. So that first birth, which born of water, is actually the birth of the flesh. And we've all had that. Uh, that's the first birth. But then he says, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And that's the second birth. That's the new birth. So in other words, to be the new birth is a birth of your spirit. When you're born again, it's not your flesh that changes. It's your spirit because you are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. When you receive Jesus, you receive the new birth of your spirit. You become a new creation in your spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes inside your spirit. And you are now... Uh, you have now a perfected spirit, praise God. And that's the beginning of your salvation. So Jesus said, um, this, in, in this new birth of the spirit equips you, just as the birth of your flesh equips you and authorizes you to operate in this fleshly world. So in the same way, the rebirth of your spirit equips you, empowers you, authorizes you to operate in, the, in God's kingdom, which is in the spirit. And so he said, marvel not that I said to you, you must be born again. In other words, this is not an option. It's a necessity that you must be born again. And um, at this point, he's described the first aspect that the new birth is the Father giving birth to our spirits. But how does he do it? He does it through the Holy Spirit. So the next picture comes to answer the question, how? How does this happen in us? And uh, then he describes the wind, the Holy Spirit as the wind. He says in verse 8, the wind blows where it will, and the word for wind, pneuma, is the same word for spirit. So he's talking about the Holy Spirit. The wind blows where it will, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from and where, or where it goes. So it is with everyone that is born of the Spirit. And so what it's saying is that the wind is a picture of the Holy Spirit. The, both of them are invisible, but they're very real, and they're powerful. And the fact that the... the the Spirit blows where He wills means He's a person. And it's a great honor if He blows into us and gives us His power and His energy. And uh, you can't control the Holy Spirit. He is a person. But what you can do through the new birth, you open you, your heart and you invite Him to come in. And He will come in. You surrender to Jesus as Lord He's the Spirit of Christ, and He will come in. He will blow into you, 
praise God. But you, he's a person. You can't control the Holy Spirit. In fact, when he comes in now, he will lead you. And when you become a child of God, you, you start being led by the Spirit of God. You can't control the Spirit, but the Spirit will lead you. And as you walk with him, you will experience the blessing of life. And so it, it, in Luke 11, it promises, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So if you, if you will ask God to give you this miracle of the new birth, and you ask for the Holy Spirit to blow into you and to change you by his power, he will do that. He will give the Holy Spirit to you. Praise God. And so that's the second aspect. The Father will give birth to your spirit and he will do it through the Holy Spirit, blowing like the wind into your spirit. But this happens, and here we have the third picture that's necessary, and that is the work of the Son on the cross. And we're going to see that the new birth comes from the Father who sends the Spirit to accomplish it, but the Spirit blows from the Father through the Son. The Spirit flows through Christ and what he has done for, for us on the cross. And so Jesus um, goes on and he talks about this third aspect that is essential. Um, he goes on and he says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that's on the cross, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world, this is verse 16 now, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, Rather, he came to condemn the sin of the world by taking it on the cross and taking the judgment on himself. He came to save us. But that the world, he came that the world should be saved through him. Now, this was all uh, talking from a picture in the Old Testament in Numbers 21, verse 5 to 9, where Israel had sinned, and as a result, fiery servants... And these fiery serpents represent sin. And they ate and they bit the, bit the people. And so the poison of sin went into them and killed them. So this is a picture, you see, that when because of sin, sin brings death. Because sin is like a poison that kills us. And Israel were afflicted with these fiery serpents because of their sin, and they were dying. And Moses prayed, God, save us. And then it says in uh, Numbers 21, um, verse 8, The Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard, and it will come to pass that everyone who's bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a serpent of bronze upon the standard, and if a serpent had bitten any man, when he looked upon the bronze serpent in faith, he lived. And this is a wonderful picture of salvation, you see, because bronze is a picture of judgment. So this is all a picture of what Jesus would do, because Jesus said, just as Moses lifted up this bronze serpent on a pole, so 
He, Jesus, will be lifted up on the cross. And the picture is this, that the, that bronze serpent was a picture of Jesus. Now the serpent was sin, remember, but it's bronze, which is a picture of our sin being judged on Jesus. So when they looked at the bronze serpent, they saw their sin judged. And it says those who looked in faith and they saw that God had dealt with their sin in that way and they believed, it says they lived. And it's saying in the same way Jesus is saying, I'm going to be lifted up on the cross and I'm going to take your sin. I'm going to become sin. I'm going to take your sin as a sin offering on the cross and I'm going to be judged and that sin will be judged on me. He will be the bronze serpent, the fulfillment of that. And he says, if you will look to Jesus and see your sin taken by Jesus, judged on Jesus, if you will look, you will live. In other words, you will receive eternal life. You will receive the gift of eternal life. And that's what, that's what um, the new birth is. In other words, he says, if you believe that I'm the Son of God and you believe in me, he says, you will receive eternal life. You will receive, you will have within yourself eternal life in your spirit. That's the new birth, your spirit possessing eternal life, the life of God inside you. In other words, God wants to bring you to a new birth. How do you receive the wind of the spirit to blow into you? To, to do that new birth, you have to look on the Son of God. You have to believe that God sent His only beloved Son to die for you. And you have to believe that He took your sin upon Himself and it, your sin was dealt with once and for all on the cross. You put all your trust in Him and He says, then you will not perish, but you will have eternal life. In other words, that life of God imparted by the Spirit of God, blowing into you, will make your spirit come alive and you'll be born again. The Father and the Holy Son and the Holy Spirit are all involved in your new birth. Praise God. And I want you to notice that in verse 15, John 3:15, he says that um, he will, um, as the Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so will the Son of Man be lifted up on the cross that whoever believes, whoever looks in faith on him, may have eternal life in him. And then when it says, for God so loved the world, it doesn't actually mean, oh, he loved us so much. I mean, he does. The so actually means, for God so loved the world, means for God in this way, in that way. In, in other words, for if... For God so loved the world. How did he love the world? It was the previous verse. He loved the world by sending his son to die on the cross as our sin offering, to take our sin, to be judged for our sin, in order that by trusting in him we might have eternal life. So God loved the world by sending his son so that by giving his only begotten son to die on the cross, that by believing in him, by looking to him, by seeing the, our sin dealt with by him and trusting in him for our salvation, looking, you see, that when the Israelites looked to the serpent on the pole, what were they doing? They were looking to that as their remedy, 
not looking to themselves, looking to the serpent on the pole, to Christ on the cross as the remedy. And so to be saved, to receive the new birth, you've got to look away from yourself and all your self-salvation by your own works. And you have to look to Christ and trust in Christ as the remedy for your sin, the only source of your forgiveness. And you see him being judged for your sin. And if you will look in faith, you will live. You fulfill the condition. And then the Holy Spirit flows from the Father through the Son and through his death and resurrection into your heart, into your spirit, and he gives you the new birth. All who looked upon the serpent they lived. Praise God. And so, ask the Father for the Holy Spirit. See the Son, look to the Son and what he's done for you on the cross and then receive the Holy Spirit. Let the wind of the Holy Spirit come into you and you will be born again. The passage ends in, by describing believers, the true believers versus unbelievers their difference in their destiny and their lifestyle. It says, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who believes not has been condemned already. The difference between a believer and unbeliever is condemnation or forgiveness. He has been condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. Because, in other words, this is the only salvation. There is no plan B. If you don't accept God's salvation through Jesus, there is no other salvation. This is God's answer and the only answer. And he says, this is the condemnation. That light, that the light, that's Jesus, has come into the world. But men love the darkness rather than the light, for their works were evil. And so the light comes to you, and you have a choice now. Will you embrace the light? Will you receive the light? Or maybe you just don't want to give up your sinful life, and, and you love the darkness more than the light, and so you don't turn to the light. You reject the light because you want to have your own way. You don't want to let the light come into your heart, but that's foolish because you'll end up under eternal condemnation. And then it says, for everyone who does evil, that is an unbeliever, hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be reproved. He doesn't want to be told what he's doing is wrong. He wants to carry on in that lifestyle. This is an unbeliever, somebody who's rejecting the light. He doesn't want to be corrected. But in contrast, the believer he do, who does the truth comes continually to the light that his works may be made manifest, that they have been wrought in God. And the characteristic of a believer is that we are willing always to come to the light because we want to be cleansed by the light. And if there's something that's wrong in our life, we want the light to shine on it and to, to change us because we don't want to be in, in that sin. And so the believer comes to the light because he wants to see if what he's done is in God or not in God. And if it's not in God, he wants the light to cleanse him from that sin. Because the believer, in other words, is the one who loves the light. He loves Jesus and he loves his ways. And so he comes to the light and is willing to be corrected and to be cleansed from any darkness in him. Whereas the unbeliever loves the darkness and rejects the light because the light has come to correct him. It's come to say, look, this is wrong. 
and he loves the darkness more than the light. So do open your heart to the light of God. Receive the new birth and also walk in the light every day. Invite Jesus, come to the light and let him expose any darkness. God bless you. Amen. Thank you.